I'd like to begin by asking you a question this morning, and I'm going to just return us to the book of Ephesians. I know we've got the expo, but it looks like there's lots of guests here uh, this morning, and I thought the best thing to do would be just to return back to the exposition of the Word of God, though we have the expo, the ministry expo out in our warehouse afterward. But I would ask a question. Was there any other way for God to save human beings than by sending his son to die in our place? Was there any other way? I mean, first, I would say that God was not under obligation to save anyone at all. It says in the book of 2 Peter 2, 4, that God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to the chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until judgment. I think when you read that in 2 Peter 2, 4, you realize that God, God could have just left us in our sins forever. But once God, in His love, decided to save sinful human beings, then Scripture is crystal clear that there is no other way for man to be saved but through the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have these kind of statements in the scripture when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection and he was speaking to two disciples and he said this in Luke 24, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. And then he said, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? But you have that statement, was it not necessary? And it was necessary even in Hebrews chapter 2. You remember in the Garden of Eden, excuse me, in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prayed there. You remember, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But we know the teaching of Scripture. It was not possible And so he drank the cup, if you will, the bitter cup of the wrath of God poured out on him. There was no other way. In fact, in Mark's gospel earlier in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, after he was identified as the Messiah, it says that he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. And so the question, was there any other way for God to save human beings than by sending his son to die in our place? We would answer that from the scripture. There's no other way. J.I. Packer, the great man of God who actually just passed away last month after a very prolific and fruitful ministry, said this, what was there about the crucifixion of Jesus, which in spite of the horror, shame, and pain, makes it so important that God planned it in advance and Christ came to endure it? That's a great question. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Ephesians this morning. Open it to the book of Ephesians if you're not already there. And our theme this morning is redemption. It's redemption. Let me read chapter 1 verses 3 through 10 for you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight." We can stop there. Our theme is redemption. Now remember as you're holding your Bible or looking onto your Bible that we're describing the believer's spiritual blessing in verses 3 through 14. All of that describe the blessings that God has given to you. Those blessings should result in praise. And I think even this morning as we sang together, we were praising God but the Bible says in Ephesians 1.3 that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And you might ask the question, what are those blessings? Well, the rest of the paragraph in chapter 1 describe those blessings. And if I put it in a big picture for you so that you can see it this week and the weeks to come, the Father has elected us in 1.4 through 6. That's where we left off. The Father has elected us. And it's often put in past tense that He chose us. He predestined us and so forth. And the Father elects. Secondly, the Son redeems us. And it's looking to a present truth. And I say a present truth. Look down in verse 7, which will be part of our focus. It says, in Him we have redemption. That's in the present tense. And so not only does the Father elect, the Son redeem, but down in chapter 1 in verse 13 and 14, it says in 13 that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So the Father elects, the Son redeems, and the Spirit seals, and even that the Holy Spirit looks to the future. Now last time we were together, we looked at the Father's role in eternity past, that He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us in love that we would be His sons. And He did all of that, we said as we finished, for a definite goal. In fact, the definite goal was, look at verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. I love that there. In other words, all that the Father did for you, did for us, leads to the praise of His glorious grace. In other words, He's blessed you, He's elected you, He's called you out to be holy, but He did it for this definite goal, to the praise of His glory. Now He mentions that, and we'll just pick up the text in verse 6. To the praise, the ideal of praise is approval. It's the ideal of applaud. I think we understand that. And here it's of God. That all of our blessings come to us from God in Christ Jesus. But they're leading, if you will, to the applause, to the approval of God. Now you'll note again, look at verse 6. It's to the praise of His Glory, the ESV says, of his glorious 
grace. And so we're praising God for His glory, which is His excellence. It's His name is His glory. His glory is His worth. God's glory is His character. And so when we sang songs just a minute ago, those songs, the words, the lyrics, always go to the reflection of God's glory. If you're here this morning and you thought, boy, that was a special worship time. Well, that worship happens when our hearts are filled with praise and when lyrics accurately describe the beauty and the character of God. So he reaches back in this spiritual blessing, looks to the work of the Father, and he says, all that the Father has done for you goes to the praise of the glory, the worth, the name of the character of God. But it's interesting, look back at verse 6. Here he cites an attribute of that glory. His glory is his attributes, but he says to the praise of his glorious, and then he mentions grace. And so here, the reason these are blessings given to us, the reason that we can give him praise, the reason the Father elected us, chose us, adopted us, is for this purpose to the praise of his glorious grace. Grace. That is God's unmerited favor given to those who are undeserving. I mean, the Bible is going to say right here in the book of Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. The Bible describes in the book of Ephesians 2, 3 that we were children of wrath. The Bible says that we were without excuse, if you will, without hope, alienated and separated from God. But here is the great truth. The truth is that we can't do anything to redeem ourselves, and this is where grace comes in. In fact, look over at chapter 2 in verse 5. He speaks of that grace. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And then that statement, by grace you have been saved. In other words, it's his favor given to you to undeserved man, that he gives you his grace. So when you look at election, if you will, it is never to lead us to pride. It's just the opposite. The doctrine of election or selection ought to humble us that we and ourselves who were dead in trespasses and sins were made alive and it's by grace, it's by God's favor that you have been saved. In fact, you know Ephesians 2.8, glance there, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this faith is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. And so here he praises, uh, if you will, he asks us and he evokes us to praise God for his glorious grace. I think we well know that grace cannot be earned. If it could be earned, it would not be grace. In fact, it says in the Bible, in the book of Romans 3.24, it says that we're justified as a gift of his grace. If you're in here and you're praising God, you have done nothing to secure that. The Father chose you. The Father elected you. The Father predestined you. The Father called you out before the foundation of the world. And according to 324, He justified you. He declared you righteous as a gift of His grace. 
I love Romans eleven six. It says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. In other words, if it's his grace given to you, it's not based on anything that we have done. Now pick up the text, look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us, it says, in the beloved. And so even though he's finishing that little section on the Father's electing work on our behalf, the, the Father is so inseparably linked to the Son that Paul cannot leave the person of Christ out. In fact, Paul loves to keep repeating his name. In other words, the Father elects and the Son redeems and the Holy Spirit seals, but it's all put together by Christ. In fact, look at chapter 1 and verse 1. To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, our union with Him. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. Look at verse 4, even as He chose us in Him. It says, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. It says in verse 5, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And so he found great delight to refer to the matchless name of Jesus Christ. But all of a sudden, and you can see that, it's Christ Jesus. It's Christ Jesus our Lord. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in him. It's through Jesus Christ. And now he comes to verse 6 and he says, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. There's a little bit of an abrupt change there, isn't it? It is in the beloved. Here's the point that expresses how the grace of God comes to us. That term beloved is used in places in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. It's really just a, an endearing title for the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you would think of many titles of what he's called throughout Old and New Testament and in the scripture. But here's a wonderful one. He's called in the beloved. It just literally refers to the, in the state of being loved by God. In fact, it was used at his baptism. It was used at his transfiguration. In Mark 1.11, it says, This is my son, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. So if you can catch the drift here, we're turning our attention from the Father's decree in the past from all eternity to the Son's death for you in time present. The language changes from the work of the Father here to the work of the Beloved, to the work of the Son. And I mentioned that language change because you see it again in 7. In Him we have redemption, present tense. Redemption is a present continuous possession. And so what Paul does now is then present the person of Christ and he gives us three incredible blessings. We'll just talk on one of them. He speaks first of his redemption in 6 through 8 on the forgiveness of sins. Then he speaks, and we'll look at this next week, on his revelation, which is really the consummation of all history in verses 8 through uh, 10. And then he speaks of the reward, the inheritance in verses 11 and 12 that he gives to the saints. 
But let's dial down and drill in on his redemption here, that first gift, the forgiveness of our sins. Look at the text in verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The theme here, as we focus on the work of the Son, is his redemption on your behalf. That's really our theme. We're praising God for his glorious grace. The Father's work, and here's the Son's work, and the Son's work is this, is redemption. And what he does here is he presents the doctrine of redemption with this purpose that it might lead you to praise God for your blessings in Christ. Let me click off a couple of things for you about the doctrine of redemption so that we have an understanding of what it means to understand that phrase that in him we have redemption. First, the meaning of redemption. What's he talking about here? What is he talking about here when he says in him we have redemption? Whenever you see that Greek term, and it was used in the Old Testament as well, the ideal of redemption is this, is that a person is in captivity, a person is in bondage by which they cannot break free. And over and over, both in just the Greek language as well as in the New Testament, deliverance can only be brought from that bondage, if you will, by payment of a price. In other words, somebody needed to be redeemed, a price needed to be paid. In fact, that word redeemed was used of delivering men in prison. A man needed to be redeemed in prison, but he could only be redeemed, not by himself, but by the payment of a price. It was used of a slave. A slave in, that, in the scripture and in language needed to be purchased, if you will. He needed to be redeemed, and he could only be, or she could only be redeemed by the payment of a price. So you've got a person in captivity, they need to be delivered, and redemption involved the freeing of a man from the penalty, whatever that was, by payment of a price. Now this is not just new to the New Testament, it was used in the Old Testament, the etymology of the word in Exodus 6.6. 6. There it says, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and watch the language, I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. So Israel, back in the Old Testament, needed to be redeemed, if you will, from bondage to Egypt and the Lord promised to redeem them. In fact, the commentator William Barclay said, in every case, the conception is the delivering of a man from a situation from which he was powerless to liberate himself or from a penalty which he himself could never have paid. And so as we come to the New Testament, there is what I could call a second exodus where our salvation is described as redemption. And the truth is of all of us, that we have to be delivered, we need to be rescued, we need to be ransomed, we need in that sense to be redeemed. Then you might ask, what do I need to be 
delivered from? What do I need to be rescued from? What do I need to be ransomed from? And of course, the answer biblically is that you need to be redeemed from your sin. You are, the Bible says in Ephesians 2, dead. Look there in chapter 2. In your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom, he says, we all too lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. I mean, the simple, profound truth of the Scripture is that we are dead in sin. And the point here that the Word of God makes is that you are not awaiting death. You are already dead, according to Ephesians 2.1. In fact, John put it this way in 3.36, that the wrath of God is abiding on you. And if you're here this morning and you're without Christ, I'm here to tell you by the authority of the Word of God, you're dead as I speak spiritually. In fact, you're not waiting for judgment. You have already been judged. In fact, as I speak, if you're not in Christ, the wrath of God is abiding on you. And so you need first, we would say, to be rescued from your sin. But I would add to that, you also need to be rescued from God. You need to be rescued from God. Man faces, because of his sin, God's judgment, God's wrath. And so you have to be rescued from him, as we sang this morning, because he's holy. In fact, you know, Romans 6.23, that because of the presence of sin, it says that the wages of sin is what? It's death. So man may achieve certain victories over some sins, but he can never shake, if you will, the grip of sin. Galatians 3.13 says that man is under a curse. So man finds himself, this is the teaching of Scripture, in a horrific condition. He can only be redeemed by the payment of a price, but he cannot deliver himself. You say, why cannot man deliver himself? Well, because the Bible says that we're slaves to sin. The Bible says that we're held captive, if you will, by our sin. But oh, may I introduce you to one today who can deliver you, who can rescue you. Look, at, I take you from the meaning, secondly, to the means of redemption. Okay, we need to be delivered. We're, we're sinners. That's what the Bible says. But what is the means of redemption? Look at it there. And it's a tremendous. It just says, in him, in him, it says, we have our redemption. And then it says, through his blood. So when you're looking at the doctrine of redemption, not only do you need to be delivered and freed and rescued and ransomed, all of that is language, but the means that God has provided that for that, the instrument by which redemption occurs is through his blood. And by mentioning his blood, it is through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the means here of redemption in the scripture was through his blood. Let me just say it this way, beloved. It cost the beloved son his life to rescue you from sin. So when he says in the beloved, that endearing title, the second person of the Trinity who left glory and came to this earth, but it is through his death 
that he rescues you. In fact, it says in 1 Timothy 2.5 that there is one God, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. And it doesn't say that there, but in 1 Timothy 2.6, it says, who gave himself a ransom for all. In other words, he's the mediator. He's the one who gave himself a ransom for all. Death, of course, is the penalty for our sin. And herein lies this marvelous concept of redemption. Beloved, just, just look at it this way. Jesus died for you. He died for you, just individually. I know we're corporately here this morning. But he died for you. It's a tremendous thought. It is through the shedding of his blood that he made the payment for your sin that otherwise your sin would have sent you straight to hell. In fact, I think you remember in the Old Testament, the blood of sacrificed animals was offered on the altar. You remember that. Their sacrifices were continually given on the day of atonement. They would go into the Holy of Holies. But it says this in Leviticus 17.11, the life of the flesh is in the blood, which means that Jesus didn't just bleed. When it says that through his blood, life is in the blood. And so the life of the flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. In other words, in the Old Testament, the sacrifice was killed and slaughtered and the blood applied. Obviously, the metaphor there now in the New Testament is that Jesus Christ, as the Lamb of God, went into the Holy of Holies and died on a cross for your sin. In fact, do you remember in the Old Testament and some of the writings that I, or the reading that I've done in Josephus, the, in the Old Testament sacrifices, the blood was just everywhere. In fact, there was so much blood on the day of the atonement that they created troughs so that as they sacrificed animal after animal on the day of the atonement, the troughs would just be filled and it would run out of the temple and it would run down into the Kidron Valley. But beloved, we know that the blood never brought ultimate atonement because the priest had to keep sacrificing uh, animals. Look over to the book of Hebrews just for a second. Let me show you some important truth. Here in Hebrews chapter 9, it's speaking of the great work of Christ. It's speaking of our redemption through his blood. But it says there in Hebrews 9.11, as you turn to it, that when a Christ appeared, isn't it interesting that one of his titles is not only the beloved, but as Christ, when he appeared as a high priest, 9-11, of the good things that have come, and through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered, I love this, once and for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, underline this, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So there you have the word redemption, the buying back, 
the price being paid. And here the means is his own blood. What a thought. Look down at 915. Have you ever caught this verse in Hebrews? 915, therefore he is the mediator, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred, his, that redeems them, you, from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. I love that. A death has occurred. He died in your place. He redeems you. In fact, look over at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4. It says, but in these sacrifices, that's 10-3, there is a reminder of sins every year. They kept sinning, and so they had to keep coming back to the Day of Atonement, to the Holy of Holies. They would have other sacrifices throughout the year, but in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. They had to keep doing it. But verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. In other words, you understand that. The animals were only symbolic of the greater sacrifice that would be made by the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the meaning of redemption, but the means is that he died in your place. Look at this next scripture, and I think you know it well, and both these words are brought together. Go to the next slide in 1 Peter. Knowing that you were ransomed, that's the Greek word for redeemed, knowing that you were redeemed, in other words, you were purchased from the feudal ways inherited by your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were redeemed by his blood. Look back in Ephesians just for a moment. Ephesians, we're speaking here of the means. In fact, it says it again in Ephesians. And you say, well, how was I redeemed? You were redeemed in his death. How, what was purchased? Your sin. He bore your sin. How did he do that? He died in your place. Look at Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ, you who were far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. Look over at Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. He tells us there in this type of language to walk in love. As Christ loved us in 5.2 and gave himself up. He delivered himself. He gave himself up. It says there as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And so there is the means. It's his death on your behalf. I would submit to you this is the greatest truth. I think what Paul's saying here is in the book of Ephesians is blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed you in Christ with every spiritual blessing. The Father's not only elected and chosen you, but the Son has redeemed you by dying in your place. In fact, look over. I just want to show you this with your eyes in the book of Romans. This theme is all over the scripture. Redemption is a theme that we've got to know to understand even the gospel. 
But remember after Romans 1, 2, and 3, all man is guilty. All men are guilty before God. It says this when he gets to the glorious gospel in Romans 3, 24, that we're justified. Here it is. In other words, we're declared righteous by his grace. In other words, it's his grace. Nothing you did. It's his unmerited favor. He gave that to you as a gift. Watch the language. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward, God, as a propitiation, the ideal, as, as a satisfaction for your sin by his blood. And it's to be received by faith. Beloved, there's so much more. I think of Paul when he met with the elders of Ephesus at Miletus. He said in Acts 20, 28, shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In other words, you were redeemed. The means was through his blood. It says in the book of Colossians in 1.20 that he made peace through the blood of the cross. He died in your place. Revelation 1.5 speaks of the one who loves us. And it says in the ESV, who freed us. One translation says, who redeemed us from our sins by his blood. Look at the next slide, that great scene in Revelation chapter 5 in verse 9. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you, there's our word, ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You know, it seems that our our world in which we live in is caught up in what lives matter and it's led to the great problems, has it? You know, with black lives matters and then the rhetoric that came out, all lives matters. Obviously, the pre-born lives matter and you and I would agree that all of the world matter because all people are made in the image of God. But it's by your blood that you ransomed people for God, look at the language, from every tribe and language and people and nation, which is ethnos, every ethnicity, God's redeeming heart in the person of Christ through his death and shed blood for you. In fact, remember at the Passover meal in the Gospel of John when he said, this is my, this is the, my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, Matthew 26 as well. In other words, it cost the very beloved son his life, very God crucified. Romans 5.8, that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what? He died for us. Let me put it succinctly this way. The work of the Father reveals salvation's choice. But the precious work of the Son shows us salvation's cost. He died for you. Galatians, he redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. No wonder Paul could say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
But there's more. Would you look down at Ephesians? Look back there. It says, in him, we have redemption through his blood. But it says in verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So I take you from the meaning of redemption to the means of redemption to here thirdly, the, the message of redemption. And the message is this, is the forgiveness of our trespasses. So not only in Christ were we, re, were we redeemed by his blood, but we've also been, the thought in the word, is set free. And you say set free from what? Well, obviously we've already said from sin's power, from sin's stranglehold, from sin's vice grip. You say, well, how were we set free? Okay, he died, but here's the message. And the message is, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, just for a moment, and I've shared this with you before, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness, I mean, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how you would define that. Well, you'd say, well, I, God forgave me of my sins. Well, what do you mean by that? If somebody came up to you and somebody's come up to me in the last month and said, Pastor Scott, I'm really sorry for what I said, and I reached out and I gave him a hug, and I said, I, I forgive you? What, 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 what is that? What does it mean here in verse 7? The forgiveness of our trespasses. Let me just say that Greek word is a fiume, is, is, the, is the Greek word. And what forgiveness is, is beloved, it's a promise. If you could picture it, if I could just demonstrate it for you, forgiveness just literally means, a fiume, to let go. In other words, something is in your grip and you let go of it. The word a fiume, literally, words matter, means to send away. It's the idea of dismissing something. You say, well, what, what does that mean here? Well, look at it again. It's verse 7, a forgiveness of our trespasses is the thought. It's a forgiveness of our sins. It's a different word for sins, it's trespasses, but they're used interchangeably. But to trespass means to fall to the side of, to deviate from the righteous standards of a holy God. In other words, when you trespass, you break God's law. And what Almighty God does is He gives His Son to redeem you through His blood and He lets go and He dismisses, if you will, all your sins. He removes your sin. He removes the guilt of your sin is the best way to say it. In fact, let me show you. Go over to the book of Colossians. Turn right just for a second. Let me illustrate this with Scripture. In Colossians 2, chapter 13, it's put all together there. It says in 2, 13, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. He caused you to be born again, the thought is, with Him. Having forgiven us, what does it say? All our trespasses. In other words, he forgave you. He let go of your sins. He dismissed your sins. He's not holding you guilty anymore. In fact, look at the, 
the text, having forgiven us all of our trespasses in 2.14, by canceling, here's what he did, the record of the debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What a description. This he set aside, nailing it to the, what? To the cross. I think I've told you before that if you were to walk in one of those Roman jail cells. You would walk underground. They were called maritime prisons. And often they were just filthy and just people were just treated inhumane. But if you'd walk up to those cells, on the outside of the cell door would be a decree, would be a list of all the crimes that you had committed against Rome. And they would just be listed there. And what the Bible is saying is that in the person of Christ, God went up to that jail cell door, if you will, yours, your sin, and he ripped off that decree of debt that concluded all your sins, and he ripped it off, and then he nailed it, if you will, appropriately to the cross when he died on your behalf. Listen, this is the greatest truth in all of the world. This is the greatest truth, more even prominent than an election, more prominent than us being even here live. The greatest truth, women and young mothers, is the fact that he could redeem all your sins through his death and forgive you, dismiss all your previous guilt, all your previous error. And he does that for us as well, men. You say, well, how did he do that? Well, he died for you. And if you want to look this up later, Romans 8.3 says that he condemned sin in the flesh. He died in your place. He took your sin in his death through his shed blood. And what's amazing, according to Colossians, is that he not only blots out all your past sins, but also your present and future sins. Jesus Christ redeems us through his blood and grants us the forgiveness of all our sins. Listen, you could walk out even here today knowing that Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him through faith, has forgiven you all your sins. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed, there's that thought, our transgressions from us. He lets go of them. He dismisses them. What is forgiveness? Look at it this way. It's a promise. It's a promise that when he lets go, when he dismisses, when he removes your guilt, Jesus Christ will never hold you in condemnation for those because he died in your place. Isaiah 44, 22, look at the language. I have blotted out your transgression like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. In other words, I've just taken them away. I've removed them. I've blotted them out, if you will. Return to me. And he says, for I have redeemed you. I have purchased you. Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am the one who blots out your transgression for my own sake. And do you see that? Do you believe that? I will not remember your, what? Sins. P people come up to me and say, Pastor, how could he not remember? Isn't God omniscient? And I said, yes, he's omniscient. Then how could he not remember my sins? I told you, it's a promise. He promises to never bring them back up in your face. 
He, by his own sovereign choice, lets go and dismisses. Of course, he's knowledgeable overall, but he's not going to bring them back up into your face, which is amazing because even though he promises not to do that, you do that all the time with your sin. Some of you tell me, Pastor, I've confessed that sin a thousand times. Well, listen, I, you, you might feel the guilt of it, but it might be a false guilt. There is a redemption that covers all your sins. And then when we, when we sin daily in our life, 1 John 1, 9, we need to confess that sin so that he may remove the relationship that brings a barrier. But listen, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It says in the book of Micah that you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Listen, this is the greatest message. I mean, you would actually think if what you're hearing out of my mouth, this would be worth millions of dollars. You mean, Scott, you're actually saying that by the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ up on the cross for you, that he steps in your place as your substitute through his blood, and the message is that he forgives all your sins, yes. This is why the Apostle John said in 1 John 2, 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins, past tense, are forgiven for his name's sake. So listen, we need daily cleansing from sin, 1 John 1, 9, to enjoy communion with God, but the eternal forgiveness at redemption brings us into a status of facing no condemnation as it says in Romans 8.1. Now you might be wondering and sitting there, some of you, because some of you hear what I'm saying and you're saying, hey, he may forgive people's sins, but he can't forgive all my sin. Do you know how much I've sinned? You say, what would I say to that? Look back in the text. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. This he did, Paul makes clear, according to the riches of his grace. In other words, the more you sin, the more grace he has. And so I bring you to the fourth and final feature of redemption is the measure of redemption. It's according to the riches of his grace. Look at verse 8, which he lavished, it says, upon us. In other words, it's, he's just a, there's an abundant supply of grace. God gives us more grace than expected. Grace, again, is God's undeserving favor to man. He showered down his riches of his grace. I think Paul says this because our forgiveness is so comprehensive that he ensures us that God's grace is so boundless. God's forgiveness, beloved, is infinite. Likewise, his grace lavished upon us is without measure. We will never be able to out God's grace. Romans 5.20 says, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And then look at the final phrase there in verse 8, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. In other words, what I am articulating today has been planned in the wisdom of God, in the insight of God. 
This is not a haphazard rescue operation. He designed your salvation, if you will, from the foundation of the world. Do you remember the song that we sometimes sing? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it, what? White as snow. So blessed be the God and Father. Here's the meaning, the means, the message, and the measure of redemption that changes the way I live, I said at the beginning. You say, well, what do you mean it changes the way I live? Well, you ought to just give praise to God for what he's done. Can you believe it? Can you believe in the midst of this world in which we live what Almighty God through His Son has done for you? He provided your redemption, buying you back at the purchase of His own life, death, shed blood, the message of forgiveness of sin so that you would take on the righteousness of God so that you would get into His very presence. And I would just say this, if the church is worth His blood... Is it not worth your time and your service? Listen, you're going to go out in just a moment. There's going to be the ministry expo. If Jesus loved the church so much, Acts 20, 28, that he purchased the church with his own blood, does it not demand at some point our sacrifice and ministry and spiritual gift to it? Titus 2, 14 says that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all all lawlessness, redeem us, and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I pray that's what we are. In fact, you, you might even say, well, I'm not in Christ. What must I do? If you're not in Christ and you've never embraced Christ, there's one thing to do. It's Acts 10, 43. It says that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. You've got to put your hope, your trust in the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf.